On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came out and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I'll take that. Y'all can have a seat. Thanks, Ann Bennett. Great section of scripture we're in this morning. How are we doing this morning? Everyone okay? Okay, three of you. Good. It's going to be a good morning. Okay. Thank you all being Great job. Thanks, Justin, for being here. Um, we are, if you're new with us or you've been with us, we're journeying through, traveling through uh, Luke's gospel verse by verse. We are beginning chapter five this morning. And today we come to a very familiar passage if you've grown up in the church or you've been around the church for a little bit. And um, this is a wonderful scripture. And uh, because of maybe our familiarity, I want us to pray. And as we're going through this, that the Lord would open up our eyes and open up our hearts and minds to see it afresh here this morning because it's, it's the calling of the very first disciples. And so you may be familiar with this or maybe you're not familiar with this. Maybe you are not yet a Christ follower. Maybe you uh, were invited here by a family member or a friend. We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're here to open the scriptures with us. And this text here this morning has some wonderful things for you to consider if you are not a Christ follower. Uh, if you are not yet a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's some amazing things that are happening here that the Lord Jesus is doing and wants us to see and wants us to consider. And so what we have here is the calling of the disciples, particularly the calling of Simon Peter here in Luke chapter 5. And Luke gives us two sort of overarching concerns. Sorry, let me take a drink real quick. Two overarching concerns uh, here in this passage. Uh, those concerns involve, number one, or the first one, who Jesus chooses to associate himself with. So that's the first thing I think Luke, the gospel writer, uh, wants us to see, wants us to consider, wants us to take seriously, wants us to, to realize and have eyes for who Jesus chooses to associate with. And then uh, secondly, the need to rightly respond to the call of Christ. So we see who Jesus associates himself with, and then we see the need to rightly respond to the call of Christ. And then the text sort of zooms in on Peter, and uh, on Simon Peter. And this is the kind of guy that Jesus, the kind of person that Jesus would choose to associate himself with. Peter, here in the text, is a self-professed sinful man. Right out the gate. He's an ordinary man. He's an ordinary guy. He's a fisherman. And Jesus calls Peter to himself. And Peter, at the end, rightly responds to the call of Christ, leaving everything to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing story of Jesus is calling. Now, uh, Peter's story, I believe, as Luke is writing, as we're walking through this, prepares us for what's to come, for what's ahead, for as we journey through this gospel, as we continue to see what's going on, it prepares us uh, for the calling of more disciples, the calling of uh, how Jesus calls, who he calls, the manner in which he calls. And it prepares us for this reality, namely that Jesus begins here to give attention to sinners and to outsiders, not those that were the religious elite. Jesus begins to give his attention, to give his ministry, to give his time to outsiders, to sinners. 
Um, And this theme really sort of breaks the surface of the waters next week when Jesus, we're going to look at, calls the despised tax collector Levi. Shocking. This brilliant rabbi, this one that has authority that we saw last week as he expounds and preaches the scriptures and says that he's the fulfillment of all these ones. Then he calls these ordinary, sinful, even despised ones to follow him. Luke wants us to see this. Luke wants us to feel the gravity of this. Um, Jesus next week says he has not come to call the righteous or the self-righteous, but he's come to call sinners to repentance. So he begins his ministry and he begins calling those that he would draw to himself. And what does that mean for us here, church, today? Um, This is beautiful. This is wonderful. It means that Jesus has come for you. It means that Jesus has come for me. Um, how do I know that? Because he's, he's come to save sinners. Not the insiders that have it all together, but the outsiders, those that don't have it all together, those that are broken and busted by our sin, those that are in great need of a savior. That's who he's come for. And so church, he's come for you and he's come for me. And so a lot of times when we come to church, I want to challenge us here this morning. A lot of times we come to church and we think sermons are for other people. Are they for the community that should be there that aren't there because we're the good Christians and we're here? Are they for the, uh, the one sitting next to you and you have the elbow moments that you can, oh, did you hear that? That's, that's what you need to work on today, right? And rarely or sometimes there's something in us that we don't hear it and we don't receive it for us. But church, today I want you to know that this call of Jesus is for you, and it's for me. It's not for the person next to you. It's not for you to, to evaluate for them. I think Luke wants us to consider this, this personal calling of what it means to hear the call of Christ and to respond to him personally. Um, now, honest pastor moment, I've been, I've been doing this uh, for over 20 years. Um, Preaching, teaching, leading in the church, saying things out loud, opening the scriptures. It's a great joy of mine. But gosh, just real vulnerably as I was preparing this week for this message, uh, I've read this text hundreds of times. I've considered this text many, many times. Uh, It's so easy for me uh, to say that out loud and really want y'all to get it. I really want them to get it because I do. At the heart of a pastor is that, man, I want my people to treasure Jesus and to know that he's come for them and that he can heal you in, in the midst of your brokenness and your pain. But I'll tell you, one of the things that I struggle with, just a vulnerable moment, is I want it so badly for those that walk into these doors that I forget that even this word is for me. So I say this out loud uh, as an indictment, even to my own heart, that yes, I, I, I want to believe it for you, but as I was reading this week, Jesus, your call is also for me too, and I should respond to it just the same way and not just be about a sermon or how to prepare it or how to tell a cool story that someone might laugh at, but your call is, lands on me just like it lands on everyone else. And so church, we all struggle with this in different ways. We all let this truth of the call of Jesus, we, we, we let it sort of bounce off our hearts sometimes if we're not careful and we just, we sort of deflect it to someone else. Let it land on you and let you hear it for yourself. The call of Christ is for you and me because we're in desperate need of our Savior. Um, and the call is to follow him just like it is for Simon Peter and for Levi and for Zacchaeus and for all the ones that will follow as we journey through this gospel. Now, at this point, Peter, as he, uh, as he interacts with Jesus, as he hears Jesus, as he sees him, he's not a stranger to Jesus. This is not the first time that he would have seen him, nor are the other disciples. They would have already listened to him preach as he was preaching in all the synagogues in the region. They would have maybe even seen him perform some incredible miracles that happened in the text that we read previously, they could have been part of those congregations. So they would have witnessed, they would have heard, it said last, last few weeks, that the word spread about all this one Jesus was doing and teaching. And so Simon Peter and these disciples that we'll encounter would have some sense of understanding or even a firsthand account of what Jesus has done. 
And they would have too been amazed. They would have too wanted to uh, be around him to hear from him. And so here in this calling of the first disciples, as we look at this passage, I want us to see some principles. At least four things we see happen. Number one, we hear the word of Christ. Number two, we see the power of Christ. Number three, we see the confession of sin. And number four, we see a response to the call of Christ. So first, we hear the word of Christ, verses one through three. Peter becomes a follower of Jesus in the context of hearing God's word. This is how following Jesus begins, and this is how following Jesus continues. Verse one, Luke five. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So by this time, Jesus' reputation was growing as a teacher. Great crowds were coming. They were pressing in to hear the word. Uh, the lake uh, Gennesaret is another term for the Sea of Galilee. Um, Luke calls it a lake. Other writers and the other gospels call it a sea. Uh, and I think uh, that largely depends on how far you'd have traveled back in the day. So like if you hadn't traveled much beyond that context, you would have looked at this large body of water. Look at it, it's like an ocean. Luke had, was a little bit more traveled. He'd seen a little bit more things. He's like, it's a lake. So that's what's going on there. That's why it's called uh, something a little different. Um, but nevertheless, it's this big body of water and it's an important body of water. It's the key place for fishing, a key place for these disciples' livelihood. This was Peter's home area. This is a large crowd. There was people wanting to hear this one who proclaimed himself to be the son of God deliver and give the word of God to God's people. Now the phrase word of God, as we see here in Luke, interestingly only appears one time in Matthew and Mark. But in Luke and in Acts, it appears 20 times. So there's, there's some gravity to this word, and this is the first time it shows up. It's, it's here, Jesus is telling, he's preaching the word of God. He's telling people about the kingdom of God and what it's like. He's telling them about the kingdom of God. In Acts, it shifts from Jesus proclaiming the word of God to then the church then proclaiming the word of God. So the authority then changes. You go from Jesus being the one to proclaim the word of God. Jesus is then uh, crucified and resurrected on the third day and is with the Father in heaven. And then he sends the Holy Spirit. Now the church is empowered with this same calling to, to advance the church and the kingdom through the word of God. And the church becomes the one that proclaimed the word of God. And and I love it. It's never about a person, although it is about Jesus at first. But the messengers come and go, but it's the word of God that remains. It's the word of God that endures. It's the word of God that continues from church to church to church to church to church through the power of the spirits. Messengers come and go. The message of the word of God is forever. And that's what we see happening here as Jesus begins to, to teach the word of God to God's people. So church, that's what we wanna be all about as a church, the word of God. And we wanna see the word of God, as it tells us in Acts, continue to increase and multiply. That more people would learn to treasure and love and respond to the word of God. Verse two. As we go on, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. So Jesus spots these two boats on this lake and the fishermen, they weren't out there, they were washing their nets. They'd, uh, they'd spent the entire previous night fishing making a living, using what's called a trammel net. So it's this, the net that they would have used uh, back then is very, very, very hard work. It involved laying out this great net around a semicircle using a boat to, to traverse this lake. And then they would draw in this net over and over and over again, this huge net to try to draw up a catch of fish. It was incredibly taxing physical work. So these were not weak men. These were not uh, weekend fishermen. These were buff rigging, like, I mean, they could handle themselves on the boat, right? These were real fish, these were man's men, right? 
And so they were, the work they did was tough and they toiled all night. And then they begin after a whole night of fishing, the tedious work of cleaning their nets. Because if they left things on the nets, it could compromise the nets and break the nets. And so they would have to mend the nets. And so it was a taxing work all night and then tedious work during the day to get the nets ready to do it again the next evening. So they were in this process of getting all the debris out. Uh, And then verse three, due to the difficulty of of some hearing, Jesus looked for a way to amplify amplify his voice, to begin to teach people the word of God. Um, So he's like, how can I get the word out? So he's looking around. That's when he sees these guys on this boat. And so just by way of application, sound guys in the church matter. Nathan, glad you're here, bro. You're awesome. So your sound guy, give your sound guy a pat on the back. It's biblical. Sound matters. Amplification matters. If you turn knobs, if you're behind the scenes, Jesus thought about it, so we should think about it too, right? That'll preach. Amen? And everyone else is like, what? What are you talking about? That was just for you and me right there. Okay, gotcha. I'm here for you. Um, and so Jesus is on this boat. He said, so if I get in this spot, in this little nook of this cove uh, on the boat, my voice will amplify correctly and more people can hear the message of the word of God. And so he's on the boat and he's teaching them from the boat. And that's how discipleship begins. It begins by hearing the word of Christ and responding rightly to it. Hearing and responding. Hearing and responding. What does that mean for us practically here at Risen Church today? It means engaging in the sermon. Listening. Diving in. Maybe reading it beforehand. Reading it with your family before you show up. So you can engage the word of God. So you can hear it. So you can hear what God would have for us say. So you can come in with eager anticipation that, that God would want to speak to you in a profound way. Because his word is living and active. That we would engage in our own personal Bible study. That we would know to love and treasure the word of God. That we would long to sit with God's word and read it and meditate on it and let it uh, go deep into our hearts so that we can respond rightly in our lives to it. I love the way that Paul says, the way he says to the Thessalonians as he commends this church, he says, we thank God constantly for this. That when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as the word of God which is at work in you believers. He says, you received it. I commend you because you received the word of God, not as the words of men, but as the word of God. And when you do, you let it start working in and through you. You let it do something. So there's a hearing of the message and then there's response in faith to the message with the right response. And Paul is commending this church that the gospel came to them and they responded in power. So hearing the word of Christ and responding to it is how the call of discipleship begins. But there's, like I said earlier, there's a tendency in our hearts, I think in all of us, to let it ricochet off of us, to ignore it, to dismiss it, to say it's for the next person, it's for my neighbor, it's for this other one. Um, there's a tendency in all of us to let the word of God, we're okay with hearing it. The part that gets us so often is responding to it and living in it and walking it out. It's like when you're in school. It's no problem if you're in class and you're just hearing the teacher lecture. My, my wife's a teacher, uh, and so she, she's giving her lecture. She's doing her thing. Uh, it's no problem to sit there or take this, for example, what we're doing right here. Uh, Sean, you do your thing. You kind of talk out loud for 30 minutes, preferably not 40 like it was last week, and let's wrap this up and get to lunch and do all the things. Um, it would get really uncomfortable if I said, I'm going to need a few volunteers because i got a few questions for all of you. Let's come up to the blackboard and let's work this out. When a teacher does that or when someone else does that, what do we all kind of do? You sort of start sinking a little bit lower in your seat, like, don't call on me, Right? Because you don't want to have to respond to it. You don't want to have to get up there and do anything with what you've just heard because part of it is terrifying. Part of it is like, oh, I'd rather just listen. Don't call on me. Don't make me do anything with this information. Um, It's nerve-wracking. We all have a tendency in that same way to hear the word of God and let it deflect and say it's for someone else rather than saying, this is for me in my heart. 
And no, you don't have to get up on stage and, and do something in front of a group of people to s- respond rightly to the word of God. But the word of God does require a response of each of us in a unique way. And are we a people ready to hear yes and respond rightly to it? Let's put our hearts in a posture of receiving and responding. Uh, just like we see here with the disciples. Um, secondly, <clears throat> we need to see the power of Christ here. So Peter saw this on this day. We don't even know how engaged Peter was with the teaching. We're not really, we're assuming he was listening intently, but maybe it wasn't because it's interesting that in verse four, after Jesus was finished speaking, it was like he had to go like double down on Peter, like like kind of the student that's sort of like maybe not paying attention. I, I don't know this. this is for sure what happened, but verse four, as the story continues, it says, and when he had finished speaking, it's like he kind of went and pointedly called out Peter. He said to Simon, Simon Peter, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. I just wonder, just my spiritual imagination wonders was Peter kind of checked out. He's kind of maybe like looking for some more fish. If you're a fisherman, you're like, you can't be next to a body of water without like, uh, like someone's talk, kids talking, you're like, oh, okay, uh, right, okay. Maybe Peter's doing one of those. And Jesus has to sort of lift his eyes, say, pay attention. Um, now, Peter would have seen Jesus' power or heard about Jesus' power previously. I mean, he's casting demons out. He's, he's preaching the word with power and with authority. There's all these things that we've just, he's, he healed, uh, he's healed many that had fevers and were sick. So he had either witnessed it, seen it, or heard of this one. So he, was, he understood that this one Jesus possessed great power. Um, that he possessed great power. But I think this was different for Peter. And I think this is significant This is significant this time in the calling of Peter. So what's so different? This is not just a miracle that just happens. What's so significant is where it happens, the location. Jesus meets Peter at his vocation, at work. Jesus didn't tell Peter to come to the synagogue. Jesus walks out onto the shore, gets on his boat and starts talking to him. And Peter witnesses the power of Christ in his vocation. He meets him right where Peter lives and right where he works each and every single day and every single night. I was thinking about my own conversion story. My own conversion didn't happen by me stumbling into a church service one day. My conversion happened on a football field as a high school student where I spent hours every day. I had a teammate begin to share the gospel with me for a year and a half. And I didn't want anything to do with it. I was, thought he was nuts. I thought he was crazy. But Jesus met me where I spent hours and hours of my every single day. And he sent one of his agents of change to proclaim the good news of the gospel to those who are lost and perishing. And it fell on my ears and I heard. Jesus met me where I just spent my every day. And he does the same just like that to Peter. And Jesus addresses him, remember, on his boat, at his lake. And he shows him something that he had never seen in all of his days as a kid, in all of his days as a young teenager, in all of his days, however old he was. He had never seen this before. And he says to him, and Jesus looks at him, this professional, successful, small business owner that ran a fishing charter. He looks at him as he's cleaning his nets and says, put out to the deep. Put your nets out and get them ready for a catch. Now, don't you love Peter's response? And we love Peter's responses all the way through the Gospels because they're us, if we're honest. And he says, verse five, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But I can just hear, 
without your word, we'll let down our nets. Can you imagine the amount of work that would have been? This giant, like, you're, it's not like a little crab net that we, would, that we take to, like, we give our kids at Destin. And we, it, this is a major ordeal. It wasn't just like a, a simple cast net, right? This was a major thing. Master, at your word, we'll let down our nets. What's he saying? Well, I think for one, he's saying, I'm tired. Uh, I've just been at this all night. There was nothing there. What do you mean fish more? I'm exhausted. I've already been at this, Jesus. But I think there's more here also. I think this is maybe what Peter is implying. I think he's a skilled fisherman. It's his boat. It's his waters. He's out there every single night. He knows how to do this. He can handle himself. He grew up doing it. His father taught him to do it. He does it. Um, he was a successful, you know, small business owner, if you will. We sort of sometimes paint the disciples as poor. Yeah, I don't think they had a lot of financial means, but there's evidence as you read through the Gospels that they were looked at as successful, good fishermen. They knew what they were doing. They, they had a boat. They had a place. They had a plan. They were used to catching these fish. They were successful in their own right at what they were putting their hand to. And Peter knew what he was doing. He knew what it was to catch fish. He was good at it. Spent his whole life doing it. And so I think at this point, he's probably maybe thinking, what does a carpenter's son know about fishing? What could Jesus possibly tell me about fishing? Like, I know, Jesus, uh, it's fine when you're in the synagogue and you open the scroll, and you read all these things, and you do all these things, and you uh, teach the Bible. Jesus, that's, I get that. This is, that's fine and great for you to do that. You can teach me what it means to be saved. You can teach me what it means to be a man of faith and a man of God. You can teach me uh, all these miraculous things in the context of where you belong. But don't tell me how to fish. Like, do you really know how to fish? And I think there's a lot of application here for this room um, when it comes to our vocation, when it comes to what we put our hand to every day. Because we may think like this, you know, Jesus has every right to tell me how I'm supposed to be saved. Jesus has every right to tell me uh, you should go to church more, read your Bible more, do all those Jesus-y things that we're used to hearing. That makes sense. Uh, but leave my business to me. I'm good at this. Don't meddle in these areas because I know how to do this. Let's keep Jesus where Jesus belongs in the church. And let's not mix all these different, you know, this is just, let's keep him right where, right where he needs to be. And I think Peter's got a little bit of that happening. Like it's his boat, it's his waters. What does Jesus know about my vocation? Leave my business to me. Leave my lawyering, lawyering to me. Leave my teaching to me. Leave my executive uh, oil and gas job to me. Leave my accounting work to me, Jesus. You don't have much to say about those things. Yes, I'll read, do the spiritual things, but stay out of this part. Now, we wouldn't say that overtly, but a lot of times we live our lives that way. We compartmentalize. And Jesus here is crashing into that. He is crashing into that space in a big way, on purpose. And Luke, as we read it, wants us to see that and feel that and know that. Jesus, you can tell me how to go to heaven, but don't tell me how to run my work or to order my days. Church, we need to listen to Jesus because he's Lord of all creation. He's Lord of it all. Your vocation, your personal life, your parenting, your marriage, all of it, every aspect, he's Lord of it all. And we need his word, we need his instruction, we need his care, we need his concern, we need his course correction in all of it. And Peter here gets a lesson on that. Uh, and you have to commend him, though, because he does it. He does it reluctantly, 
but he does it, right? He, he goes, at your word, I'll do it. And I think that should give us a lot of comfort. At least it did me. Reluctant faith is still faith. Amen? You may be in here today and you are just at a weak, you're weak. You're like beat down, you're busted, you're like the world is beating me up. I'm like, I don't know. And you just find yourself in a spot where you're like, I don't know if I can muster any energy to obey the Lord in this area. But you can't, even reluctant faith, believe him and trust him and take that step. Okay, Lord, at your word, I'll obey you. Because you know, you're Lord of it all. You're Lord of it all. There's still an obedience here in Simon Peter, even though it's reluctant. Now the people, and then the result is this remarkable thing in verse six. They catch so many fish. The nets were breaking. They haul in this miraculous catch. They caught nothing the night before. And now their nets are filled so much that the boats are sinking. The nets are breaking and they need to call in help to, to, to haul in this catch. Um, and as, you, as this was being observed, remember there's all these people pressing in to hear him teach. This has happened in front of a lot of people, not just the disciples. They would have thought, Jesus has control over the fish of the sea. Jesus has control over creation. He just proved it over casting out demons. He, now he's proving it. I have control over all of the cosmos. Everything obeys my voice. And they would have maybe hearkened back to some of their stories of God having control over the frogs and over the flies and all of the different plagues that, that God showed control over the cosmos and over the created order. And now here Jesus walks on the scene and he's giving power and control to the created order. Or it would remind them maybe even more of Adam's first task in the garden. Remember Adam, the very beginning, first man? Adam was told to exercise dominion over all of creation. And the very first thing Adam is told to give dominion over is the fish of the sea. It's the fish of the sea. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And here is our greater second Adam the one who succeeded where the first Adam has failed, the one who conquered and did not give in to the temptation of the evil one like the first Adam did that rose victorious, that came out of temptation in the desert and now is performing all these miracles and he steps onto the shore and where the first Adam failed and didn't give appropriate dominion because of all the, the now here he has control. The greater Adam, the second Adam exercising total dominion over the fish of the sea. So much so they call in the second boat, verse seven, and they signaled to their partners, like, get over here. And the other boat came and helped them, and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. And all of this was accomplished by the power of Jesus' word. And I think what Jesus is doing in this miracle, like he does in other miracles, is there's more at play than just the miracle itself. There's more happening under the surface that we need to grab hold of. And so one of the things I think being conveyed and one of the things that is, uh, that's happening in this miracle that's gonna be emblematic of the rest of their lives as disciples is they are going to be catching people by the power of Jesus' word for the rest of their lives. And it starts right here. That droves and droves of people will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not because of the disciples' acumen, not because of their brilliance, not because of their great power and their great strategies, but by Jesus' power and his word. And that, friends, is how we make disciples. Yes, we need training. Yes, we need help. Yes, we need to be wise in our witness to those that we share the gospel with, to those in our spheres of influence as God sends us out on his good mission for his glory and our good. But we need power. We need his power. We need Jesus to exercise dominion over the creation so that we can go out and have any attempt 
at pushing back the darkness by his good will and his good word. And so we see Jesus's power here. And thirdly, um, we see a follower of Jesus confesses their sin to Christ. Peter is aware of a couple things when he sees and witnesses all this happen. On his turf, in his boat, in his lake, number one, he sees that Jesus is great and that he is not. He sees that Jesus is great and to be lifted up and exalted and magnified and that he is not. He recognizes his sinfulness. Verse eight, when Simon Peter saw it, when he saw what Jesus did by the word of his power, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. There is an awareness of Jesus' glory in this moment and he falls down at Jesus' feet. Jesus met him at the place that he knew the best, in his vocation, in what he was great at, where Peter was an expert. And Jesus proved his power in that very place. Church, whatever you do, wherever God calls you, his power can be made manifest in that very place. And when you recognize that and you see that, our response after seeing the authority of Christ is to sense the holiness of Christ. And he responds like John does in Revelation chapter one when he sees the glorified Christ and John says, I fell as though a dead man. Uh, Peter also responds in absolute awe of Christ and just falls at his knees. He doesn't know what else to do. And I think this is key to living on mission. What do I mean when I say living on mission? Uh, the mission of God is that we would go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is for every Christian in this room. Not, not just pastors, not just missionaries, not just, you know, like Navy SEAL Christians. That is, that is all of us. That is the mission of God going forth into the world, into our spheres of influence. The only way that we are going to have a meaningful witness as we advance the mission of God in our communities, workplaces, schools, and the world broadly is if we as Christians would be struck with an awe of God and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do I mean? Church, we talk about things that leave us in awe. That's what, we, that's what we talk about. That's what we share on Twitter, or if any, I don't know, if the, what's it called now? I can't even remember. That's what we share on all the, like, we share things that leave us, like, what? Or when something, like, incredible happens to us, or we go to an amazing place, we want to share it because it left us. There's part of that that left us in awe. And so the Lord Jesus, when he saves us, when he calls us, when we recognize his glory, and it lands on us and we respond, the mission advances because we as God's people are in awe of all that he can do and his word and his power and his majesty. And people catch that. People catch that. I'm not saying you should fake it. You got to change your personality to be like more rah-rah. But there's something about someone who has been impressed uh, by the glory of God that when they go out and talk about him, they're in awe because it can't help but spill out of them. Um, if you're not impressed with Jesus, if you're not in awe of Jesus, it's irrelevant to talk about the mission of Jesus because it becomes a task that you don't really want to do. But when you're in awe of him, it spills out in every sphere of your life. Whether you're on the soccer field, the baseball diamond, the cubicle, the watering hole, the park, wherever it is, you're gonna find opportunity to talk about this one who has radically changed you. That's where mission begins. And he's aware of his own sin, isn't he? Peter is. Peter's response is not 
well, uh, I'm a lousy fisherman, Jesus. You beat me again. You did it. It's not, uh, you're better at what I have spent my whole life doing in five seconds than what I've done my entire life. It's not like a pity party. No, he says, I'm a sinful man. Don't you love how comprehensive that confession of sin is? Not, I've sinned a couple times. Yeah, I've messed up a few times. I've said four bad words last week. Okay, I'm not that bad of a person. No, it's a total confession. I'm a sinful man in your presence, in your glory, and witnessing all you've done. And there was nothing in the passage about sin. Jesus wasn't like, like trying to get him there. Like this was his response to seeing the power and glory of Christ. I'm a sinful man. It's like Isaiah when he responds in the presence of God. Woe to me for I'm a man of unclean lips. Or Job, after Job is protesting against God and Job has a million questions and, and then God lays out a million questions for him after Job's protest. And he's like, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Um, and then Job responds, I had heard by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. At the majesty and glory of God, there is a comprehensive confession of our sinfulness in need of a Savior. And then there's humility here in Simon Peter. A humility that should mark all of us. A confession that calls Jesus Lord. What Peter is seeing here is that he is small and Jesus is big. And that's the key. That's what makes the difference. When, when you're small and Jesus is big, I think big things can happen. But when you're really big and Jesus is, has a little spot on the shelf when you need him and you can grab him, I think that's a dangerous way to live your Christian life. We need to see Jesus the way Peter sees Jesus in this powerful moment, in this moment on the sea that rocked him to the core. And then consequently, uh, now he responds, verse 10 and 11. He responds rightly to the call of Christ. Notice, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. First of all, church, This is a gracious calling. This is a gracious, grace-filled calling. Peter just said to Jesus, get away from me. Depart from me. I can't have you in my presence. I'm a sinful man. Like, you are so great and mighty and wonderful and glorious. You need to leave. leave. Because I'm so unworthy. And Jesus doesn't look at him and says, he doesn't say, okay, see you later. You're not worthy to be in my presence, though that would be true. What does he say? The gracious voice of Jesus, fear not. Do not be afraid. This is the great wonder of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't crush him in this moment. Jesus lifts him up. He's seen his glory. He's seen who he is. He's in his very place that he knows the best. And he says, get away, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus in that moment just brings his grace and lifts him up. And he doesn't reject him. He doesn't crush him. He doesn't smack him down. He doesn't say, I'm rejecting you. He says, I'm with you. I'm with you. Later, Jesus knew that he would go to the cross, pay the penalty for the sin that Peter just confessed before him. We are all great sinners, and Jesus is a greater Savior. Amen? Peter thinks he's too guilty to be used by the Lord in this moment. Do you? As you catalog your past, as you catalog last night, as you catalog last year, do you, at the, at the end of the day, like, I, how's God going to use me for his mission? I'm a sinful person. I can't measure up. Um, 
Jesus chose these disciples by his grace. And John, John 15 says, you did not choose me, I chose you, Jesus says. Jesus takes ordinary, sinful men and women and calls them to his mission for his purposes, for his glory. And the good news of this calling is Jesus never turns his back on one that confesses their sin and turns to him in repentance and faith. That's all he asks. He won't turn his back on you. It's a gracious, glorious calling. And secondly, it's a purposeful calling. He doesn't send Peter away. He tells him, I've actually got work for you to do. I've got work for you to do. I'm gonna send you on an entirely new mission and your mission is gonna be catching men for the glory of God. The verb catching means to capture alive. You're gonna be catching people alive and bringing them to this heavenly shore so they can meet their savior. And as the story goes on, you're gonna see that these disciples that Jesus chose and empowered by his spirit and sent them out on mission by his power, they saw amazing things done. As you read Acts, which is the sequel to Luke's gospel, 3,000 people by Jesus' power in the day of Pentecost were caught up and saved. The word of God continued to increase and abound and more and more were caught up and saved and, and counted as children of God through the good news of the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this word of God, this good news, this mission advancing, which is why, uh, consequently, you are sitting here today, is because you are a part of the Great Commission working in our generation right now today, and us responding to that will see it continue down the road in years and decades to come until the Lord calls us home, or returns again. And so this calling is for every one of us, like I said earlier. This mission is for all of us. This is a part of ordinary discipleship. And Luke is spelling this out for us in his gospel so that we would catch this. Remember who he's writing to, Theophilus, someone who's maybe not a Christian or a brand new Christian. He's spelling out the conversion of these early disciples and saying, this could be you, or as Jesus has saved you, now he's sending you on the same mission, Theophilus. This is a part of ordinary discipleship. I love how, or I love and hate how Keller, Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller puts it. He says, church is often like a football stadium where there are 22 people in desperate need of rest and thousands of people in desperate need of exercise. He's right in a lot of ways because we kind of think, well, that's for the pros. Jesus has called all of us into this. And finally, last thing, verse 11, it's a costly calling. It says they left everything and followed Jesus. Um, they were changed in this moment profoundly, weren't they? This was a moment of decision. He says to Peter, my calling for you. And Peter hears the words of Christ. He sees the power of Christ. He confesses his sin and he responds to the call of Christ and now lives his life on mission. And we too, church, have got to be willing to let go of the, some things to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that all of us will leave our vocations to follow him, but it does mean that some of us need to maybe let go of some of our comforts or some of our preferences so that we can bring the mission of God to bear in our current vocations. Maybe we have to let go of some selfish ambitions or some sinful patterns. Confess his holiness and our sinfulness and then see the power of God working in and through of us. It gets worked out differently in all of us. But all of us are called to this following of Jesus. Uh, Luther in an old hymn, A Mighty Fortress, wrote this very last stanza that I love. It says, let goods and kindred go this mortal life also, the body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Church, let's leave behind what needs to be left and let's follow Christ and become fishers of men in our generation. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your call. 
Lord, that you took undeserving sinners like me and like those in this room and you've called them to such higher purposes that Lord, when we're confronted with it, we just wanna fall at your feet and say we're sinful just like Peter, but thank you that you don't crush us, that you lift us up and you set us on mission by your power for your purpose. And so God, I pray for the one in here today that doesn't know you. Lord, I pray that they would come to know the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ and that his call to follow would land on their hearts and they would respond with a resounding yes, forgetting what lies behind but pressing forward to what lies ahead and take hold of that which is the most glorious reality that is life with Christ. Lord, would you save some even this morning by your power, by your word, for your glory. And Lord, for for those of us that have been following you for a long, long time, um, Lord, I pray that your word and your power and authority in our vocations would rattle us. That we would consider what does it mean for me to hear the call of Christ and to follow him, and to let go of some things, some selfish ambitions, some sinful patterns, so that we can lean into that which you've called us to. And Lord, we know that you don't crush us, that you lift us up, and that you help us. And so Lord, by your grace, would you do that? Lord, the, the harvest is, 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 is ripe. We need more workers. Lord, would you use risen church here in Creekside, in the woodlands, in Spring, Magnolia, wherever you find yourselves, to be outposts of the good news of the gospel in those places? Would, the, would, would men, women, and children come into contact with your good news wherever you send us? And would you give us words, and by your power would you work as only you can? For your name's sake, we pray these things. Amen. Church, would you stand as we praise him?